think I need to be prayed for for healing after that. Brett, actually, I gave Brett a hard time last week in the 10 o'clock service because I had to move it on my own. And usually Dork does it. Dork can pick up a car by himself. But uh, but Brett surprised me at the 10 o'clock service and I think he got a hernia out of it. But uh, uh, it's good to be here today. What a beautiful day, man. And uh, it's just gorgeous and... Uh, Man, I know you're eager to get out in this stuff and enjoy it, but I'm so glad you're here today to uh, open God's Word and hear from Him today. We're uh, we're going to be in Acts 2.42, and if you've been around a while, we're in the middle, well, we're at the conclusion of a series we're calling All In, and we've been walking through the birth of the church in Acts, and we're going to be in Acts 2. 42, we've covered that pretty much, and now we're going to go through the rest of the way through verse 47 today. But uh, let me just kind of help you that maybe guessed today or have not been around or, or maybe you're catching it online and, and, uh, and it's new to you. What has happened is, is Jesus, we know Jesus was crucified. He was buried. He rose from the dead three days later. He ascended to the right hand of the Father, and we're waiting on Him to return, just like they were. They were waiting on Christ to return, and we looked to the skies saying, Come, Lord. And uh, and it was the the same thing for us as it was for them. But yet, what Jesus did is He told the, the uh, disciples, apostles, to go and pray until the Holy Spirit came. And sure enough, the Holy Spirit came in power upon them, and the church was birthed. And uh, Simon Peter got up to teach and preach, and he stood up. And this is the same one who um, months earlier had denied he even knew Jesus. He gets up, he speaks, and it says that they were cut to the heart. And I, I want to I want to make sure that makes sense to you because you see, you cannot come to a relationship with Christ until there's a heart conviction of some sort. You, in other words, you can't just approach on your own saying, oh, uh, you know, because there needs to be a drawing of the Holy Spirit. And then what happens is, is you respond to that drawing, then the Lord takes up a residence inside of you. The terminology we use is biblical terminology. They were saved. And so what happened is 3,000 people were saved all at once. 3,000. I mean... I, I, I think back of the most people I've seen even walk an altar call before. It's nothing close to 3,000 people who are radically transformed at that moment. Now, um, I read the other day that currently down on the border, there are 700 children in um, uh, housing because they can't find their parents anywhere. And they called it a crisis, 700 children. That is a crisis. But 3,000 people, all of a sudden, whose lives are radically changed, and they're about to be sent back into a world where Jesus said in Matthew chapter 10, they're going to hate you because they first hated me. And so he's sending them back in. So if you take uh, people that are in an infant state of coming to Christ, they're going to be thrown into a radical world. Man, what? that's a crisis. What are you going to do with that situation? 
And so we read in Acts 2.42 that by the Spirit uh, bringing upon these people, they were devoted to the apostles' teaching. It just drew them to the teaching because they knew it was life. They wanted to learn about Jesus as much as they could. To the fellowship, they, they felt this incredible connection to one another. And then to um, the breaking of bread, which we talked about the Lord's Supper. And I hope you know that we have the Lord's Supper available any Sunday that you want to take it. But they they desired that intimate uh, encounter. And then well, last week we talked about they were devoted to the prayers. And we talked about the prayers. So the Holy Spirit automatically drew them to these things. Now, the the tendency is, I want you to hear this, the tendency is to turn the things the Spirit ought to be drawn us to, to turn them into a program. You know, we got a prayer program, we got a Lord's Supper program, we got a worship program, we got, instead of just, these things should be automatic that God is drawing us to do. And, um, and we find this as a struggle today because we want to manufacture the things that ought to be spirit-led. So uh, in Acts 2, 42 through 47, I want to read 42 again. I just quoted it, but in 47, uh, 43 to 47, we see the results of what the Spirit did among this church because our desire is to see that replicated here. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship to the breaking of bread and the prayers and awe came upon every soul and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Day by day, people were following the example that had just happened with these people. I read a story about Dr. David Livingston. David Livingston was a missionary in um, the remotest parts of Africa, and you may remember the statement we used, Dr. Livingston, I presume. And he was in the backwoods of Africa. And a missionary society wrote to Dr. Livingston, and they asked him this, Have you found a good road to where you are? If so, we want to know how to send other men to join you. And Livingston wrote back, and this is what he said, If you have men who will come only if they know there is a good road, I don't want them. I want men who will come if there is no road at all. Listen, to be a follower of Jesus is not for the faint of heart. It's not for the easygoing. In fact, you are called to submit all that you are for all that he is. And sometimes we have lost the sight of that in our culture. And what has happened here is we see God birthing some things in this church that I would love to see and continued here at Central. First of all is this. They were connected with the Father. They were connected with the Heavenly Father. And there's two things 
we see here. Number one, uh, it was an awe-inspiring church. Notice what it says in verse 43. And awe came upon every soul. Awe came upon every soul, every life. It was an awe-inspiring church. There was no boredom in this church. There was no spectator mentality. When they showed up, they knew God was present. They wanted to see God do the things that only He could do. And the word awe is a strong word. You know, we, we, we use the word, oh man, that's awesome, that's awesome. We will talk about those things. But let me tell you something. The word awe here refers to fear and terror and reverence. These people knew that their next heartbeat, their next breath, they were dependent on a holy God, the creator of all. And sometimes we lose sight of that in our day. We, we call things awesome that are really not awesome. And, and it was not, uh, you will hear people flippantly say, address God as the man upstairs or the good old boy or the good God and this kind of stuff. That did not even cross these people's mind. He was the mighty God who invaded humanity by his son and he completely brought forgiveness to people. And they knew the holy God was present. And often we lose our uh, awesomeness of God by getting so attracted to the things of earth. In 1997, it was the 70 year anniversary of Charles Lindbergh's flight from New York to Paris across the Atlantic. And the Smithsonian invited his daughter Reeve and her son Ben. She brought her son Ben along with her to the Smithsonian for that particular celebration. And they asked her to come early. And they said, you come early, we will have a cherry picker, a lift, for you to lift you up because the spirit of St. Louis, that airplane, is suspended from the ceiling. And so she came early and her and her son Ben got in with the, the lift uh, guy and they lifted the cherry picker, the lift, up to the airplane. And Reeve, the, the daughter, starts to feel the side of that plane realizing that her father was there and the awesomeness of the accomplishment that he did. And she turned to her son, Ben, and she said, Ben, this is so awesome. This is an amazing moment for us to be here. And he said, yeah, I've never been up a cherry picker before. (laughs) And I think we get so enamored with the things of men that we miss the awesomeness of who God is. This church did not lose it. You see, it's not really about us. When we gather, I try to get across to our pastors and our staff and our elders and our worship team, everybody. Listen, we come to an audience of one when we gather. It's not about you. It's not whether you like the songs. It's not whether you like the preaching. It's have we pleased our Heavenly Father. That's what we're called to do. And so it was an awe-inspiring uh, church. Secondly, though, it was a miraculous church. We see going on in verse 43, he says, And many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. Many wonders and signs. We don't use uh, those words. We use words like miracles or, or this kind of thing, great works of God, whatever. But the terms here, wonders, wonders is actually a term that means it's unaccountable. There, there is no way this could happen. It's unexplainable except that God did it. 
And so when they gathered, there were wonders. There were things that happened among the people that through the apostles' hands, they're thinking, only God could do this. And the word signs is just like signs if you go down the road. They're pointing you to something. So these miracles, these wonders that took place were not just to draw people to see the wonder. They were to point them to a holy God. And God still works that way. And, and in fact, when we get on into Acts and what happened, we see a crippled guy outside the temple that now walks and we see other healings that take place. We even see on deeper into the book of Acts where there was a young man by the name of Eutychus fell out of a window, dies. Paul comes down, prays over him. He comes back to life. These are incredible wonders and signs that we hear about. And all of us would say, yeah, man, I'd love to see more of that myself. We'd love to see that. I want you to know something. That crippled man outside the temple, he was made physically whole. But I'm telling you, if he was not spiritually transformed, he will spend an eternity separated from God. If the young man, Eutychus, who fell, he had his earthly life brought back, I'm telling you, if Eutychus did not have a transformed, repentant life before God, he would spend an eternity separated from God. So the greatest miracle that still exists today is the transformed life that comes through the power of Jesus Christ. That is the most important, the most powerful thing that can happen. Because you see, at the cross, Jesus didn't come to make bad people good. That's what we think all the time. Jesus just came to change our ways, to make bad people good. No, no. That's not what he did. He came to take dead people and to bring them to life. And that's what he's done. And so the question you I have for you is, have you experienced the life change of Jesus Christ? Not have you gone through the motions. I mean, have you truly experienced the life change? So it was a church that uh, it, it was awe-inspiring and it was miraculous. I I ask myself this question. It's very convicting. And I don't know if you've ever asked yourself as a follower of Jesus this question. Is there anything happening in my life right now that if God were not to come through, I would definitely fail? In other words, I've so stepped out on faith with you, God, knowing that you're in this, that if you do not come through, if there's not a wonder, then I'm going to fail. He wants us to walk by faith, not by ignorance, but to walk by faith. And it was a miraculous church. So they connected with the Father. Secondly, they connected with one another. They connected on an earthly level. Notice what it says in verse 44. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. So you have this group of people, 3,000 plus. They're day by day, they're coming to Christ. And there would be needs that arise among the people. And so others would sell their possessions to take care of where the need is. Some people want to think, well, the early Christian church was a commune. They just lived together and, and it was a commune. That's not true. Well, actually, you will see that there were people of means and people of need. And the people of means would sell a property, whatever, to make sure that everyone was taken care of. So it was a sharing church. It was a sharing church. 
They were like-minded, it says. They were together. They were like-minded. And they took care of one another when the need arose. Uh, it says that they had things in common, which was a fellowship. The way I look at it, I've defined fellowship before you, for you before. Fellowship is two people in the same boat rowing the same direction. And so they were headed that same direction together as followers of Jesus. And they sold their possessions and their property and they took care of one another. I, I read, I read the other day, it, it's got a little of a time that the terminologies they used in this particular uh, situation are different than terms we use today. So they're not politically correct so much as what I'm saying. And, but the, but the, the story goes like this is that there was a man who was an administrator of a mental hospital that they called back in those days a sane asylum, insane asylums. And so the, the guy comes to interview the administrator of the insane asylum, the mental hospital. And he asked him, he said, I only saw three guards outside of this hospital and you have a, a hospital full, full of mentally challenged people. He called them lunatics. And, uh, and, and the man responded and, and the interviewer said, are you not fearful that, uh, these lunatics may come together and overpower your guards? And he said this, he said, I want you to know, he said, that mentally challenged people, these lunatics that you say, can never come together in unity. And I think sometimes if, if people look at the modern day church, if they do not see us almost like spiritual lunatics, we can't come together. And this particular church was a sharing church. They came together. I love you, Central. I love that you... Uh, you would love to be with uh, uh, people of other congregations even more than I, w- I do. I love that unity about you. And so they were a sharing church. But number two, under connected to one another, they were a simple church. Go on and, and let's read a little farther into, <clears throat> into verse 45, uh, excuse me, ver- verse 46. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts. The word generous literally means simply. So I put down they were a simple church. They were a simple church. They were simple. They were undivided. They didn't live with complexities or different allegiances. They, they focused on Jesus. They focused on their love for Jesus because of what he had done for them. And they focused on Jesus loving others through them. It was simple. They didn't get into uh, all these debates. They simply loved Jesus and let Jesus love others through them. We make following Jesus so difficult sometimes. And this is what happened in the New Testament when Jesus' time, the Pharisees made following God and finding God so difficult. It became a, uh, a, a mixture of if you could keep the law and they put this yoke upon people that there was no way they could find the forgiveness and deliverance and the and the presence of God that they needed. And sometimes we got to be careful that we don't do the same thing, that we take people who are seeking to be set free from the stuff in their life and we just put a heavier yoke on them. And that's not what Jesus came to do. 
And so we need to cut back and simplify. Do we want to instruct them and correctly according to Bible? Yeah. But we, we got to understand that if a person is a young believer, let's allow them to grow. Let's understand that, that Jesus catches the fish and then cleans it. And we got to be, we cannot be guilty of, of trying to clean somebody. Okay, you're good enough now to come to God. None of us are good enough. Starting with me. Okay? So we understand that we want people, uh, as God moves in their life, they should be developing. Now, when somebody's a believer for a long time and has not uh, responded, I have concern. But they didn't live for this world. And and I, I know I'm going to share something that doesn't happen to do with uh, me and not you, but I've got to share from my own personal experience. I'm finite. Uh, do I believe the Scripture? Yes. Do I know God has done a work in my life? Yeah. Does it continue? Yeah. But I gotta, I gotta tell you, I'm finite. I have not been beyond the veil into the presence of heaven. I have not been there. And, uh, so I am finite. So because of my finiteness, there are times, and I find this more and more, and it's a struggle. I have one foot I know that is firmly in my faith, but I have one foot still that wants to step on this world and be planted here. It's been said before that the most schizophrenic person that exists is the Christ follower who has one foot in the church and one foot in the world. And and I can I can say that's true. It's just a struggle. And I know you struggle with it too and and say Lord and and this is the all in. God, I want to go all in. Maybe I don't I don't understand it all. Maybe I just walk in the little revelation I have, but God, I'm all in. I'm all in with you. So it was a simple church. Last of all, it was they had a connection to a seeking world. So they had a connection to the Heavenly Father. They had a connection to one another, and they had a connection to a seeking world. I don't know how to tell you this other than point blank. There's seven-plus billion people on this planet and everybody has the same need. It's because they're broken, just like we are, and we found a Savior in Jesus Christ. And this church connected that seeking world to the Father. And notice what it says here in verse 47. Praising God and having favor with all the people. It was an attractive church. It was an attractive church. They had favor with the people. They displayed lives that showed what I use the term winsome life. I don't even use that word, but it, it, it made so much sense when I thought about how this new birth church uh, displayed the life and the winsomeness of, uh, uh, of the life and love of Jesus. The word winsome means attractive or appealing in appearance. Attractive or appealing in appearance. I... I wonder, uh, I'm not talking about other churches in the community, I'm not talking about other believers. I'm talking about seeking people in our community who do not have a faith life. I wonder how they see Central. They see just a group of people that gather, fill the parking lot on Sunday. Um, do they Do they have a clue? Do they not know? You see, the church is not a building, so... 
but that's maybe the only thing they think about. I, I wonder if it breaks down to the individuals. You know, are our students shining their light on their campuses? Are you shining your light in your neighborhood, uh, on the, at the ball fields? At, do people know there's something different about you? Is there a winsomeness? Is there an appearance, an attraction that your life is different? You see, that's what happened through the Spirit in these people. People wanted what they had. And, and we live in a day of people, uh, uh, if people in our world, in our nation, the way they look at the church so often, instead of a, a detraction, we're a detraction. We, we, the only thing they know is what we stand against. Against, against, against. They don't know really that we love God with all our hearts because of what Jesus has done to transform us. And we want to love you in return. And that's, that's not what they see. And we have to be concerned about that. We need to repent of that. So they were a church that was attractive. But last of all, it was a growing church. Notice the, the last part of verse 47. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Day by day. It wasn't when we gather on Sunday. It wasn't... Uh, when we have a special outreach, youth camp, uh, Disciple Now, kids camp, VBS, whatever, it was day by day people were seeing transformed lives and they were seeing their need exposed and they said, that's what I want. And day by day people were being saved. These people were bold about declaring their faith. They lived out their faith in front of others and it was a growing church you think about it, 3,000 got saved at one moment, and then day by day they were adding. Whew, you, there's no way you can plan that out. Only the, only the Spirit of God can make that happen. So what? We've talked about, you know, if you were to, to ask me, you know, Mark, really, what is Central's role and purpose? I, I, I've said it for years uh, is that we exist to help people connect with the Heavenly Father, connect with one another, and connect with a world that desperately needs Jesus. If, if all we do is uh, meet like this to sing songs and worship, we may as well be a monastery. If we gather just to bring people together, we may as well be a social organization. If we greet just to go out and give food away and this kind of stuff, we may as well be a humanitarian agency. You see, we are the bride of Christ. And he has called us to seek him, to love one another, and to love a world that desperately needs him. That's what we're called to do. But are we all in? Are, are we all in or just temporarily in? If if there's a guy and you say, man, that guy runs a great 90-meter dash, you would say, I don't care. It's 100 meters. 90 meters doesn't mean anything. Or if that, that guy puts in a great 35 hours of work a week, you say, man, we're asking for 40-plus. 35 isn't going to make it. If I came to Pam and said, honey, I so love you, 
this year I'm going to be committed to you 360 days. After I could finally open my eyes sometime later and think coherently. You know that's wrong. I mean, if we're going to be all in, we've got to be all in. Do we fail? Do we need to repent at times? Yeah, we certainly do. And people need to know. We need to, they need to know we're authentic, that we're growing through this thing just the way they are. But we are called, we are called to love the Father and to love people and to love the lost, and we need to be all in. I end with this. Many of you are familiar with Hernan Cortez. He came from Spain to Mexico in 1519. And he came to conquer Mexico. And as he came to the New World, he came with 600 men with a fleet of ships. He got all of the men off of the ships and onto the dry land and he put them, he got them to an area where they could look down into the bay area where they had landed. And then he had his, had someone set all the ships ablaze. So as the men looked down at their only way to go back to Spain, they knew that there was no way to go but forward because Cortez had burned the ships. My question to us is, what ships need to burn in our life because God wants to take us forward? As a congregation, as individuals, as individuals that want to give glory to God in everything we do, we can't take anything with us. We know that our next heartbeat, our next breath is in His hands. What is keeping us? What are those things we keep going back to that are keeping us from experiencing the full life in Jesus Christ. Is it, is it uh, uh, our, our affluence, our finances? Is it uh, our own talents and abilities? Is it a, our family heritage? Whatever it is. You, you see, we you fall back on so many things. And you may remember the children of Israel in the Old Testament, that they, they had been delivered out of Egypt. But what was the biggest struggle Moses had with them? They wanted to go back to Egypt because they felt... They forgot how bad it was. And one of the things people of my generation uh, struggle with is we think the, the, the previous days were good old days. Let me tell you, I grew up in a terribly racially divided nation. I grew up in a time where this whole country was split over a war that we were in. I, I grew up in a time where financially we were struggling with everything. And we say, we want to go back to those times and these times are worse. No. We need the gospel of Jesus Christ. We need the church to be what he has called us to be. And that's my prayer for Central. That's my prayer for us. I want to pray over you. So I want you to bow your heads, if you would. Right quick. I I just want to ask you, are you all in? Are you all in? Are you experiencing just trickles of God in your life instead of reality of God in your life? Are you all in? What's it going to take? What what ships need to burn? What what your attitude, your past... um, I don't know. I don't know. Comfort, ease, 
David Livingston saying, I want the guy who wants no roads. Heavenly Father, you are you are developing a bride as a church that's going to be beautiful when you return. And Lord, we are in this room today, maybe out of habit, but Lord, I know the hearts of these people. They want you. We want an audience with you, God. And we want divine encounters. Lord, we would welcome those wonders and signs that's going to point people to you. Lord, we would welcome just your presence in in coming today and for the heart that's seeking for them to find you fully today. But Lord, you're asking something of us right now. Lord, forgive us for being in awe of the cherry picker lifts instead of you. Lord, please speak to us now, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to ask that you stand with me. We're going to sing a song. Oh, it's a great song. I need thee. Oh, I need you. And uh, we have the Lord's Supper, like I said. We have these steps if you want to come and kneel and pray. When you leave today, you're going to receive a gift. And it's a, a chip. You're going to get a chip as you leave today, and it, it says on there, all in, Acts 2, 42 through 47. It's to, for you to keep in your pocket or in your car or wherever you're going to see it quite often and just say, okay, God, I want to be all in with you. So let's let this song be a prayer from us today.